carnivorous couch Shit happens once a week It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob Ooh, that was in sync. Ah. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, the film podcast where two geeks give you a film a week. Well, got one um, geek right over here to my right. That's <laughs> Brady. And I'm, That's me. I'm Rob. Cheers. Cheers, yeah, buddy. I'm trying to get you to not set that down. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you tried. But like the clumsy Monsieur Hulo, I clumsily... I like the cl- anyway. What did we watch this week? We Rob? we watched. Uh, oh, I've got my notes slipped to the party from 1968, but that's not right. That was last week. Listen to it. That was a good episode. Uh, um, yeah. If you haven't, this week we did playtime. Playtime. Jacques Tati. Playtime by Jacques Tati from 1967, which I chose because it is. Uh, it's a little cousin of the party. It's. Um, both made within a year of each other, and we'll get into it. Uh, stylistically kindred, I would say. I'm going to get this out of the way ahead of time. Uh, this is a film that's shot on 70 millimeter Panavision. It's, uh, it's cool, quite gorgeous set design and a lot of stuff. The copy we watched was basically a VHS copy. <laughs> Which is too bad because it's my Criterion, it's my fancy, yes. it was a Christmas gift. So I was going to say and that the yeah. Criterion Collection had a transfer of this film that they lost due to rights and they were like arguing about rights when they did the transfer and this and that, so they didn't bother to spend the money getting them back. So there's a crappy version of the Criterion um DVD out there, and then there's a re-release of the DVD, and then after that, there's a re-release of, of the Blu-ray issues. When they sorted out their rights, they did better uh, transfers, and those look much better. There's a lot of weird colors in this. Yeah. I, I thought I was just being a crazy asshole, um, and going like, DVDs look shitty now, because they're, they're, they're 720 or 480i. No, you um, were right, and 70 millimeters often so beautifully saturated. And I think the first time I watched this, which was like a few years back, I got to see a better copy before I owned my DVD. Because, um, yeah, even I was like, yeah, this is... It, it shouldn't be blue. It's, it should be gray and the various things and stuff going on. It's so. a colorful movie. It should pop. It, it didn't pop as much on this, this version. Yes, and Jack Tati, you know, went through a lot of trouble and actually got it shot in 70 millimeter. Basically spent a huge budget. Yeah, nearly bankrupted himself, I right. think. So, don't get the first Criterion <laughs> uh, collection, you know, uh, release. Um, yeah, that, man. that being said, that being said, we're super stoked to go straight into the contents and bring straight you the content. Yes, we're going to bring you a plot synopsis. Oh boy, that's going to be real fun. Okay, no, it is. Okay, so this movie, I think I can oh, do this. Oh, you want to do it? Okay, I had I had a breeze through thing planned, but I I'll just keep you moving. No, you do it, and I'll keep you moving. Well, because there's no way I'm going to be able to do like gag by gag on this, even if I had a memory to remember every gag, I couldn't. So really, we got to talk about it as a number of, of set pieces. I would say exactly. They're about. Which Six, I think, is the way yeah, it's laid out. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So this takes place in Paris. 
because Jacques Tati, a French director, uh, it's, it takes place in Paris. It's an ensemble film, but it stars, uh, a funny word stars, because this is like very, basically no one speaks in this. Uh, and it's just like a massive cast. But he brings in a character who is popular from a couple of his earlier, couple of his earlier films, named Monsieur Hulot, yeah, who he plays. Let's fix that. There's a lot of talking in this film. It's just none of it is of any consequence. Right. There's no two characters talking. But there's always your general average, like, oh, good day, Monsieur. Oh, I stubbed my toe. Up and up it. It's like those dinner scenes at the party. Sometimes, like, and then there's, he yeah, said, there's a lot we, of talking. We would come to this party, but it doesn't matter. Uh, so we take we start at the Paris airport, where a number of people are going about their business. There's a businessman going on a business trip, and his wife is fussing over him. Now, do you have your your blanket and all that? And a group of American tourist ladies are coming in, uh, being shipped off on buses to go to their various tour sites. And there's a guy named Monsieur Hulot, who we meet after we leave the airport, getting off a city bus uh, and going into this big glass high-rise building. And the funny thing is, we never find out really what he's there for, but he's there to meet someone. He's gone to the city. And, and here's my take. I haven't seen the other films, but I think Hulot is not a city guy. So I think he's kind of a tourist here, too. He's... Uh, you know, he's come in from some smaller burg into the big bustling metropolis to this great scary building. Yeah. And now he's like, okay, what do I do? And the guy's like, sit here. And he's like, okay. But then the guy who's maybe going to take me to my appointment is coming down the hall. So he stands, but the guy in charge is like, no, no, sit. Then sit. Let's, now you stand. Let's put it this way. Um, the opening scene is all of them getting off the airplane there at the airport and they get on buses and it's fairly standard 1969. It's like, that's, yeah, that's what the world was like in 1969 probably. And then he enters this other world that's in the city. It's in Paris, right? In Paris. And it's very futuristic or what 1969 would look at as futuristic. It's like a very futuristic, like consumerist um, uh, society. Yeah, because it's like everything's a trade show. There's people selling stuff on every corner, and then there's a bunch of cubes with a bunch of and all of this people guys, working. All of this <laughs> takes place on a set, not in the real Paris, but in a, on a set that Tati built, which is why he went so into the red making it. And it's like, yeah, kind of futuristic. Like everything is not quite real. Like it's a bigger, weirder version, like a hand crafted weird futuristic version of reality so yeah. you get this like office with cubicles but the cubicles in these things are really weird because a they're completely sealed off they have a door but they're totally enclosed and they have like a ton of mail slots built into the walls of them on the outside so people who don't even work in the cubicles are using the cubicles to open up these slots and get mail it's just a very visually busy frenetic uh, look at corporate life and Tati what happens is he gets picked up by the guy he's going to have the meeting with but he gets deposited in this all-glass room where he just kind of waits for a long time and he's kind of bored so he's walking around the room he's checking out the chairs which are leather and make a funny sound and if you lean on them the leather indents and everything is open to the street level so the people walking by and this will be a common theme walking by these buildings can see everyone inside and what they're doing. 
so everyone can be watched and watch in these in these glass fish bowls. Uh, I mean, I guess that is the name for them in modern office parlance, right? These are fish bowls. Yeah, uh, they're they're cubes and things where <laughs> totally see-through office conference rooms, what have you. Sorry, go on, Rob. No, I I agree. It, I mean, it's basically just meant to be a, a futuristic thing that sort of imitates, you know, everyday work society, but in a, a hyper way. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the effect of it. And so the purpose plot-wise of Hulo going to this meeting that we never figure out what it is and he promptly gets lost from is that he ends up wandering, I think, into another part of the building, which is uh, also where the women's tour group is headed, to a trade show. So it's a big room full of... Uh, it's an expo, an international yeah, we expo. We should say in addition to Hulo, the other recurring character is like a, a woman tourist... Yeah, and they they kind of cross paths a few times, but it's almost like Hulo or her aren't really the main character. But and there's just all this other noise yeah. in the background. Because and she's part of this other collective of her lady tour friends. But you kind of slowly get a sense because she has her own stuff where she's a uh, I guess trying to get a sense of the authentic Paris, and she sees amidst all this uh, metal and steel and glass. Just this one woman who's like kind of an old-timey flower seller on, on a corner. And it's her surrounded by everything. Kind of think like the house and up. It's like this one rustic little thing surrounded by everything else. And she's like, oh, I want to get a photo with this. How, how rustic, how quaint. Um, but even then, she's trying to stage it. And uh, anyway, so <laughs> Hulo ends up in the room, in the tour, the trade show with this tour group and spends a lot of time there. What, what do they find? There's like a broom with headlights. Yeah, it's an electric broom. <laughs> uh, lots of these ridiculous chairs that it's basically a motorized vacuum cleaner, but sweepy thing as well. Yeah, yeah. We also, one of the many wacky characters, there's kind of like a klepto guy who sort of looks like Hulo, but shorter. Which I think causes some confusion, right? Like, they, someone thinks that he's the one stealing shit? <laughs> yeah. I mean... I, I guess that's what's going on. I, I just kind of looked at it as Hulo is a person out of place. He's like a sane person from now going into this insane world. And it's just to show... It, like, it's not that important that he's a main character. It's just to show the divide between he's kind of like us you uh, know yeah. like if us a normal person walked into this world we'd be acting like him going like huh but i mean and then also like we'd know what an escalator and elevator was he seems puzzled by things like that but then there are like way more futuristic stuff like like buttons and switches that do all sorts of fancy things that we don't <laughs> even know what they're doing uh, and he's confused by those, as we would be as well. Yeah, it so. is the nature of Hulo to be generally good-natured. Uh, he's a tall, gangly man uh, who stoops a lot and is often confused by things. He's just kind of trying to, like, well, maybe if I push this, it'll, oh, no, I think I broke something. Well, maybe, okay, now I'm going to walk over here. What did I do? I sat on a chair. It made a weird noise. Okay, I'll use a different chair. It's making a different weird noise. Okay. <laughs> what am I going to do here? So, so yeah. that's kind of um, set piece number two, right? Like yeah. We had the travel to the place, then we have the place. 
And then we move on to set piece number three. Uh, you know, kind of in the late afternoon, he uh, is walking along the street and he runs into a friend, right? He runs into a friend who has an apartment nearby and he ends up going in for a scotch in this glass apartment, much like the office building. We can see everything going on in these floor apartments. Uh, and the, the distinctive thing about this set piece is we can't hear anything going on on the other side of the wall. So we are in the voyeur position at street level, uh, looking in on Hulo, but also being able to see what the people in the next room are doing and the room above them. Like a, like a, a TV wall, but living spaces. Yeah, I mean, and it kind of emulates the cubicles that they're in, right? The it cubicles does. were looked at from the management position. If you go up to the top of the um, of the escalator, you could look down on all these people doing business. This is like people from the outside walking on the street. And, you know, we haven't quite gotten there yet, but at a certain point in time, it becomes very clear that there's a worker class who kind of aren't in these fancy places like the cubicles at the office or the fancy, like, cube apartments, uh, you know, with the... The screen built into the wall, almost like a modern-day flat panel. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's the kind of thing. Uh, I think uh, Jacques Fresco probably took some um, some inspiration from this when he was talking about in the in like '72. He's like, in the future there'll be a, a wall, and you'll dial up on your telephone and you'll be like, play me Johnny Carson, and it'll play on the the cube in your wall, and mm -hmm. that's just what'll happen. Which is kind of was what was happening with them, them watching TV, essentially. But Jack Fresco probably looked at that and been like, yeah, no, this is, this is how the future will go. And, you know, with our Amazon fires and our blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you don't do it with a phone. You do it with the internet, which didn't exist uh -huh. yet. But, yeah. Yeah, it, it basically... I'll take any chance I can get to plug Jack Fresco. Uh, yeah, th there you go. Uh, and, you know... The future, or the present, whatever, portrayed in this movie is uh, a present full of knickknacks. Uh, in addition to, like, the bigger tech, like the your headlight brooms and your big TVs, there are things like cigarette dispenser lamps. His friend is like, oh, look at this, I pull up the lamp, there's some cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why would I need this? Like, oh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, essentially, the the whole society seems based around a lot of really cool futuristic fancy stuff that really isn't necessary, doesn't accomplish anything, and is, is just there for the sake of, I guess, progressive, uh, the, the uh -huh. onward march of technology. Uh, yeah, and, and to confuse Hulo, and as we will soon get to, in some cases, to break. Uh, but, so the, the next set piece, I guess, I would say there are five set pieces, right? Because this next one, I think, is our biggest set piece, maybe. Because um, what we got? We got, I we guess got we have transit airport, transit arriving, the, office, the city. Trade yeah. show, apartment. All right, and now I'd say our biggest set piece, the night on the town. Ah, uh, yes. Well, they go to a restaurant that's literally being built. It's being built as they arrive. As, as people, well, people are watching it being built going like, oh, it's going to be fancy tonight. So, yeah, the restaurant is literally being built while they're preparing the meal for the for the night. Yeah, and the maitre d's are like, oh, people are coming. Get tool guy. Get out of here. You can't have a tool chest with the utensils. You go over there. And why has my waiter got a tool chest in his hand? Give me that. 
and and crowds start to show up slowly at first and there's there's already a fair amount of mayhem with uh, small crowds they're figuring stuff out like well there there are these pillars that just like the office buildings have giant control panels or just like the house and the party it's that's kind of a call not a callback but a you know an echo is this big control panel with a thousand different buttons and god knows what all of them do but everyone's got to have these big control yeah, panels they got to push the buttons although they seem to have no effect although they do make the person pushing the button seem important because obviously he's doing do. something that's beyond your comprehension and they go and and some guy is measuring the um, the window for the food and like oh that's that's not very big. How are you going to get the big platter through the with the big fish through the window? Well, you turn it this way. It no, it it'll way. fall off. Okay, well then just grab it from the sink. Okay, and um, and they eventually just don't fix that and figure it out. I guess like reasonable people. They yeah they do, and fish arrives, and at one point a piece of fish gets lit on fire. See now I am going to have to at least look at my notes. I'm not trying to get every little detail of the set piece, but this is where the movie really announces itself as like, not just a movie of set pieces, but of like tiny, like every second some shit happens, like physical comedy. It's like the party in that regard, where it's like, all right, you're at the party now. The plot of the party at that point is you're at the party, but it's really just like all these tiny things people tripping, whatever, going on, right? And so, okay, so next what happens is the tour bus arrives, and all these women stream into this already pretty crowded restaurant, and there's like kind of a... Yeah, what, what's the first band? They're kind of like a folksy band. Like, they reminded me oh, of like a it, Russian band. I thought it band. was the same band the whole time, and they're just playing more and more modern uh, kind of rock and frenetic uh, music. Because later, like, the more, like, American-y jazz guys show up and start, like... Yeah. Well, it's all... It's it's pretty much all very fast music uh, at this point. It is all and fast. It, and it gets faster and faster. Yes. It, and harder and harder, and they rock more and more. And at a certain point, the ceiling slats fall in. And some kind of like bigwig businessman is like, oh, you know what? I'll just use these ceiling slats hanging to make my own VIP section and invite people that I want in my VIP section to come sit in here. And the guys in the band drumming are like, oh, look, a VIP section. That's that's interesting. And oh, what else? There's like this, this, this light at the entrance that kind of is like an arrow with a spiral guiding people in. And in one of my favorite bits, a drunk guy who's been thrown out is kind of like circles. <laughs> looks up at the and light and just kind of comes back in. Um, and they have a great detection for drunk people, which are those like untenably high bar stools without any like railings. So people just keep falling out of them. It's like, oh yeah, you're drunk. Okay. I, I mean, essentially they're an upside down tomato cage as, yeah. as there's a piece later in there where... The guy falls off, and eventually they just turn the bar stool upside down and throw him in the tomato cage and drag him out. I know. That at that point, they stand him up at the bar, like, fine, now oh, yeah. you won't fall off. <laughs> Order your drink. It's like a safety Good tomato thing. plant. Just go ahead and uh, <laughs> grow on this. It's like drunk safety technology. Yeah. Um, what else? What else? Oh, I mean, right from the beginning, one of the floorboards of the dance floor gets glued to a maitre d's shoe. Uh, and uh, 
to keep business booming, they decide as their uniforms get fucked up, sauce spilled on them, burned, whatever, people keep going to this guy outside with a clean uniform and being like, here, give me your clean shit, wear this dirty shit. So by the end, this guy outside, because he's not waiting that night, is just wearing a bunch of dirty shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and, and there's much furious dancing. Uh, yep. <laughs> oh, also the glass door shatters. So the doorman is just like, I'll just hold the knob and pretend to open. Like, I'll pantomime opening a door for people. Okay, I was saving this for later, but a good way to sum it up would be the excess of society begins to explode the film itself. The film being the sprawling set that Tati has built. Tati justified the expense by saying it would be... Uh, as expensive as hiring uh, Liz Taylor or Sophia Loren. And he put all of this into this film, and then he started going. And so I almost feel like this scene, mm -hmm. this is not part of the plot synopsis, but this is a good way to sum up what you're talking about in the yes, plot yes, synopsis, yes. is kind of just almost like a self-critique. He shot this movie over three years, and it's just like, it just keeps going, and it just keeps going, and eventually, like, this whole fucking thing's gonna... <laughs> like fall back on itself much like the film I'm trying to make with my commentary on society uh yes so this is essentially what the party is and then it all blows up and then yeah that the, is like the, the party. old times save the day right do they I, I mean well this this is does anybody else like the band's gone and, and fucked <laughs> off everything's broken oh you mean and, the old singer and then they say does anybody know how to play piano and they finally, like, are able to pluck a lady out of the crowd who starts to play, like, well, classical it's music. It's our, it's it, our it, lady in the right, green dress. the tourist. Um, and, and then, yeah, and then another, like, old retired singer shows up. Shows up. Like, oh, and they sing kind sing. of old-timey tunes. And that's what keeps the party going and so forth and so on. And then things kind of uh, acquiesce a little bit. Um, everything's still falling apart. But now it's just, like, it's kind of foreshadowed. By the, um, when things start to fall apart, uh, one of the restaurant manager kind of guys start, just makes it into a gate. To uh, like yeah. And so it becomes kind of like a, a, in the old days when stuff like this happened, we'd just go with the flow. It didn't, right. We didn't have to keep building and keep building and keep making it better and better and better. And so this is kind of the shift in the scene of, of the party. Eventually it becomes rescued by... Yeah, there's some sort of collapse, but it becomes rescued by the old ideas, and then, God, I'm getting ahead of myself into a what's it all about sort of thing. But at, but then, yeah. the band comes back and things keep going forward. Uh, yeah, it goes until dawn, and uh, morning comes. Morning comes, and they, everyone gathers in the nearby uh, drugstore cafe, which I think is a, a European thing that we don't so much have here. Uh, maybe in the Midwest. I don't know. Like, I know there are places where it's like, it's the drugstore. And also here's a, a diner. Like, you, you can order a burger at the drugstore. It's well, one of those. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and just in the morning, it's early. Not everybody's up to their hustle and bustle yet. So everything is kind of agrarian. Everything's a lot more like that lady at the flower shop. Who's there again on a different corner? Doing, yeah, true, selling yeah. her wares. And then there are all these kind of old, more old-timier merchants. And it's almost like... The New Dawn brings back, you know, the, uh, the marketplace of the old, which was more sociable, and it was more just people pushing things around and this uh -huh. and that. Yeah, yeah. And then as the morning progresses, the traffic comes in. Everything starts to jam up. 
Um, the tourists go back to the airport. The tourist is going to go back to the airport. Mr. Uh, Hulot. Hulot gives her a, a neckerchief and yeah, or a, a kerchief, a not a neckerchief because she wears a it on little her head. Scarf, a kerchief. It could be a kerchief. And uh, um, some flowers that he bought from the the, the woman at the corner. Lady. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of like, well, you've been to the big fancy city. You now go back on the airplane to what you know onto whatever mm -hmm. tourist attraction you're going to next and that is the thing that you will take home with you is this this kind of old-timey thing i gave you you know right and, and we it's like we don't even we end with that but then we also end with kind of this um i mean true to the movie that's come before it character moments aren't you know dialogue based and so everything's kind of atmosphere and and we end with them being headed off and as they're headed off uh it's getting to be dusk again and so the lights start flickering on and then i think the last image is just like super dark paris with just a flurry of like traffic lights and street lights going all about and so yeah I, I, i'm not even going to try to right now sum up what it all means but that is how it ends. It's a, a day, a single day in Tati's futuristic vision of Paris. All right. Yeah, that's good. That, that, that was a good plot what, synopsis. I th yeah, I think we did pretty well for the kind of movie this is, which is purely... Sprawling. Spra sprawling. <laughs> well, I don't think it's very long, but it's um, it's like all told in visual, physical... Well, I mean, it's interesting because it became very apparent to me early on that all the sound is uh, not sync sound. Everything's mm -hmm. dubbed, including mm -hmm. all the voices and so forth. Uh -huh. um, it seems like maybe at the party they might have uh, they might have boomed mic some stuff like that. But leading up to it, it's like you can tell that like people's lips are out of sync and like all the sound effects are. I mean, in most movies, all sound effects are like heavily foleyed and this and that. But, um, uh, you know, to uh, an, an overt, an overt sort of creating um, a sense of unease and unreality sense. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. there's probably a, a word that's specifically designed for that in artistic criticism, but I don't know what it is. I don't either. Maybe we'll happen upon it. In our analysis. Indeed. Um, but I think we did a good job summing it up. Do you want to do understudy and then? Sure. I guess our heads are spinning, ladies and gentlemen. Our heads are in like an old-timey French roundabout. From trying to describe this movie for you, we hope you appreciate it because we're dizzy. Let's go do understudy. Let's do <laughs> We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we've got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway. So try to catch the actors, try to guess the movies, tweet us at C A R N Y Couch. This game called Understudy is happening, happening, happening right now. You know, the first time I saw you, you were wearing a tuxedo at the bar. You were very dashing. I liked the mascara. 
But the first time I saw you was in the elevator. <laughs> really? You don't remember? Mm. Did I scowl at you? No, you smiled. I did. Yes, it was a, a complete accident. A f freak. Uh, I haven't seen it since, just that one time, like that. Like that, but bigger, bigger, yes, big, big, well, not that big. <laughs> Why do they switch the R's and the L's here? Oh, uh, for yucks. You know, just to mix it up. Uh, they have to melt themselves, because we're not making them laugh. Let's never come here again, because it would never be as much fun. Whatever you say, you're the boss. I'm stuck. Does it get easier? No. Yes. It gets easier. Oh, yeah? A look at you. Thanks. Uh, the more you know who you are and what you want, the less you let things upset you. <laughs> yeah. I just don't know what I'm supposed to be. You know, I tried being a writer, but I hate what I write. And I tried taking pictures, but they're so mediocre, you know. Every girl goes through a photography phase, you know, like horses, you know, take uh, dumb pictures of your feet. You'll figure that out. I'm not worried about you. Keep writing. But I'm so mean. Mean's okay. Yeah. What about marriage? Does that get easier? That's hard. We used to have a lot of fun. Lydia would come with me when I was made the movies and we would laugh about it all and now she doesn't want to leave the kids and she doesn't need me here the the kids miss me but they're fine it it gets a while a little more contemplative when you have kids yeah it's scary it's the most terrifying day of your life the day the first one is born yeah nobody ever tells you that your life as you knew it, is gone, never to return. But they learn how to walk, and they learn how to talk, and with, you want to be with them. And then they turn out to be the most delightful people that you'll ever meet in your life. Mm. That's nice. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in New York, and I moved to Los Angeles when John and I got married. But it's so different there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> John thinks I'm so snotty. You're not hopeless. That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y couch. Alrighty, 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 everybody. That was understudy. That was the game where we played two characters doing a scene that they weren't in. You try to guess the characters we were playing, and also tell us what movie that scene is from. That's what you do. You can tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y Couch. <laughs> you can tweet me at, uh, what the hell am I on Twitter? Wobbly Rain King? What are you, Brady? I am Brady Mick M-C Larson, L-E-R-S-E-N. 3 a.m., you're going home with Mick Cheese. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my humble apologies for what I just did to the voice of one of my favorite actresses. I think I actually carried mine off pretty oh, well. I think you did great. I think I think you acted me off the 
pod. Well, I know I did that, but I mean, well, I, th- I think I did the voice right. <laughs> <laughs> um, at any rate, uh, we're talking about playtime. Uh, oh, this is How Did You Like It? That's the it next is. thing we do. Yeah. Okay, boom, boom, boom. Hey, 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 how do we like it? How'd you like it, Brady? Oh, I love it. Um, I love it. So this this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, it really is. And I thought of it when we watched The Party, as I've said, uh, because uh, it's very few movies, uh, you know, outside of Tati and I guess Blake Edwards uh, in a certain way, even though... And Project I, X. And <laughs> <laughs> no, Pro- Project X is a party movie, but more dialogue-driven, more plot-driven. Um, it's this thing that's just... If you're one of those people who's like, you know... Uh, and I love like really dialogue-driven stories and like movies and all that. But if you're that certain breed of person who just wants, I guess, what you might call pure cinema, that's just like spectacle and like arresting visuals, uh, this is kind of like pure grade heroin in that way because this, for the most part, is just like choreography of like a million physical gags and like crazy elaborate set pieces uh you know and all going on all at once and the idea that i love that's so new that the party also picks up on is to not just have a visual gag that's at the center of the frame and yeah it's like okay that's our gag like a a marx brothers movie i love the marx brothers but their thing would be focus on groucho this happens to groucho next scene focus on harpo harpo's doing this the idea of the tati films and what Edwards picked up on and also does a great job with in films like Breakfast at Tiffany's is that a million things are happening at the same time and you let the frame fit all this action. So like it's it's just so singular. It's it's really visionary stuff. There's nothing like it. Uh, it's energetic, uh, funny, and I think it has a lot of ideas that I'll get into. So I, I think this is a masterpiece. This is doing something very few films I've seen before have done. It really is, uh, you know, Tati earned the right to have his name used as an adjective, as, you know, some of the great directors have done, Hitchcockian, uh, Kubrickian, uh, and Tati-esque is certainly... Oh, is it Tati-esque? Yeah, I mean, whatever, call it what you want. I was like, how do you do that? Is it like Tatish? Tatish. That sounds like a Russian dumpling. Tatish. You haven't had any tatish. <laughs> You're too skinny. Hey, listen. If if you keep talking to me like that, I'm going to smack you on the tatish. <laughs> so, yeah, man. Um, yeah, and so, like, uh, to have this kind of, like, curiosity, human curiosity, and also, like, a critical eye at the kind of like manners and technology and mores of the world um, and to, uh, you know, let it unfold in this way, you know, to always have these kind this one character who's kind of a man out of time picking his way through the insanity of the world uh, is its own thing. And it's, it's really great. I, I don't know. It's an A. It's, it's one of my favorite movies. All righty. This is going to dismay you, Brady. Oh, I'm and then, used to it. And then delight you. And then dismay you. And then delight you again. What a ride. W- within the first ten minutes, I was all ready to give this film a C-. Oh, no. I was like, what the fuck is this? 
<laughs> That's like, uh, first of all, it doesn't look so good. Shot in Panavision. What the hell's going on? I finally figured out, well, within about 15 minutes, what was going on that it was like a bad transfer. And I pulled it up on my phone and I synced my phone up to <laughs> what we were watching. And I, I would know. just look at my phone whenever I needed something to look better. And it worked. Good. And, um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of, it started going up to a B okay, plus okay. or B even uh, around uh, the the time that he was sitting on, uh, well, no, I was up to like a B minus when he was sitting on the chairs. Okay. C plus, B minus. And I was just like, okay, so we're doing this kind of goofy stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, I, I get it. The guy's working without a uh, sync sound, all right? He's just uh, <laughs> putting all this in afterwards. I read a little bit about the production of the film, and then we got to the uh, to the cubicle scene, and I, I started to lighten up a little bit, and I was like, oh, okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get it, cubes, that's cool, that's cool, all right, now we're a flat B, maybe B plus, okay, I, I see that this actually has some some things, and I, I, I read about the set design while we were watching, and and uh, him bankrupting himself doing that, and, and, uh, you gotta love bankruptcy. <laughs> the failing of capitalism. Uh, so, um, and then we got to the, the apartment scene, and I was kind of like, okay, yeah, I'm going back down a little bit. And we got to the party scene, where the party keeps getting more and more outlandish, and this and that. And there are these little things, like, uh, the guy's gonna go in and re-glue the tile that gets stuck to the guy's foot. And they say, like, you can't go in there. You're dressed like that. And I'm like, so he gives it to the Major D, and the Major <laughs> D just goes in there, does it very efficiently, and it's all fine. Um, uh-huh. Although I think they keep stepping over that tile for the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the movie. They Whenever do. they're walking across the dance floor, because they all saw what happened. Um, they're lucky that none of the dancers pick it up. Well, I mean, at that point, it's already well glued and everything's fine. <laughs> oh, they're just nervous about it? Yes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That makes uh, I mean, so that's kind of got a statement. And and there are these little things. And, you know, there's the whole, everybody's whooping it up. Mr. Hulo's just, like, at a weird green lit sort of, like, um, uh, deli eating a, a pre-made sandwich standing up. And so, like, and I'm like, okay, now this is actually starting to say something. It's not just goofy and, and silly uh, as it comes off at at the first. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I'm going to give it the B plus, Brady, the B plus A minus. Oh, wow. Okay. I like it. I like it quite a bit. Okay, good for you. Good for you. Good for Jacques Tati. Yes, Jacques Tati has charmed this hard critic's heart <laughs> in a way that, you know, a couple of people can do it, like Peter Sellers or Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, B plus, B plus. Okay, man. Okay, we'll so take Brady, it. So what's it? What's it? What's it all about? What's it all about? Um, what's it all about? It's about so many things, man. It's really about so many things. But I'll I'll return to the thing that drew me to this movie, and I'll I'll also pair it with. What I picked up more on this this watch was, um, and which I think is good because it tempers it, is there's a bit of cynicism to it at the beginning, 
Because what first drew me to it was I was just, I thought this was such a joyful movie and a jubilant movie. And I think in the end, that is where it arrives. But so here's what I think. Here's what I think kind of the arc of it is. And it has so many other things going on that I'll get to. But you've got Tati's suspicion of the modern world and its foibles and like it's, you know, it's strict hierarchies and the way, you know, kind of the way like you look at things where it's like, that's so arbitrary. Like, why do we do that? Like, and everything is just looking like, so we just decided to do that. We just decided there would be weird cubicle things and cigarette lamps and chairs that fart when you sit in them. What, I, I guess what's this all about? to quote, um, to, just to highlight what you're saying, to quote, uh, oh God, who's the British guy I watch all the time that I'm currently watching that film of that made hypernormalization? Adam, Adam Curtis. Curtis. Uh, to quote, I, I kept wanting to say Adam Scott and I knew that was wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to quote Adam Curtis, the world is made uh, by us and we could have easily made it differently. Yes. Go on. Indeed. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so the first part of the movie is definitely about being kind of lost and like bewildered by what the modern world is turning into. Um, and so it is a critique on technology and, and not just like physical technologies as being constricting, but, you know, also like in the earlier parts of the party scenes where it's just it's very hoity toity. And so, you know, not just rigid hierarchies, rigid technologies, but rigid mores as well, you know, airs and keeping up appearances, you know, an idea of like, this is the way things are. This is how a modern society should be. And and at first Tati is coming at that, yeah, with a lot of fire of just like, look at this. This is this is kind of ugly. Like he he makes the ugliness beautiful, but I think he's looking at these boxes people work in and being like, yeah, but this is like this can't be good, right? And what I think makes the movie incredibly joyful to me in the end um, is like the party, and the party's doing it with the kind of American mores, the rigid uh, 1950s conservatism, uh, and Tati's doing it more with whatever it is in France and with the idea of like technologies and all that, uh, is he lets it all break, and he has a fucking blast breaking all the shit and I said this years ago on a cast when I think I was trying to sell this movie to you and Grandy, is um, it's a very hopeful message to me that, yes, human beings do set up these kind of bullshit structures. Yes, a lot of this is baffling and arbitrary. But what seems to prevail in this movie is the irrepressible, rambunctious human spirit that you, you can't box us in, even with things that look very stifling and sterile and antiseptic, you know, these, these big glass and steel structures, these skyscrapers we pack ourselves into, these buses, um, eventually we will break that shit. And when that shit breaks, we might not care because we're just gonna party and dance the night away. Um, and as this restaurant breaks, the waiters are trying to keep it all together, but most of the people are just like, whatever, like whatever, we're human beings. And so it's about, I guess it's the same thing every night. It's <laughs> such a great line. I, yeah, it's, it's about both a critique of the sterility in some ways of the modern world, but I think a recognition. You know, th these French filmmakers, most of them, they always come to the table with something very human. 
And so what escapes, I think, is a lot of humanity of like, yeah, well, and then uh, we try to make things this way, but uh, in the end, we are human and <laughs> and we get drunk and we make errors and we uh, our spirits cannot be contained by these these corporate boxes. Okay, I'll do another Adam Curtis thing. Am I human or am I dancer? Well said. Well said. See, so yeah, that's 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 what it's about, though. It's the tension of Tati being fearful of like, oh, because he's getting older. I think. I mean, he's made sort of toward the tail end of his career, uh, and being like, oh, I don't like the way things are going. But also being like, oh, but, you know, human beings are a lot of fun. I, I guess they'll be fine. <laughs> they'll be okay. They'll yeah. break a lot of shit. I, I'm inclined to agree with you, and I'm gonna uh, kind of break it down to like it is that but it's a little more concise than that it, it is about uh, sort of you know we're, we're brought in as Hulo is brought in right mm -hmm. like oh, oh alright I'm from over here and I understand airplanes and buses and then I'm walking into this world that's like what the fuck and he doesn't know how to deal with it and we're probably supposed to feel the same way um, right, which is why it's so cool not to interject, but uh, yeah, but, but to interject that he's made it in this unreal way, where even if you're from a city, no city looks quite like this because he's like it's like a child's drawing almost, like it's it's bigger than a real city would be. It's weirder. It's something's off. Even if you're if you're a big bustling urbanite, uh, this would still look off to you. Anyway, sorry, go on. It's okay. Um, so we get into that that point, and then he's just totally baffled by all this. And then there's all these people around there that seem to be so sure of uh, that they know what they're doing. Although they're they're selling this useless thing, uh, the art is often in the way, right? Like mm -hmm. the tourist trying to take the picture. It's like, could you just move over here, please? She asks the boys to move over there, and they're like, oh, okay. And then like some other man's like, why don't you go over here and I'll take your picture? But like. Her trying to observe <laughs> this is just defined as in the way. And uh, all these items being sold, like the broom and, and right. like the door that closes. Like, you can slam a door with golden silence. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, that sort of thing. Hold on. I'm going to fix this I real quick. I said I wouldn't lean. Go ahead. Okay. No, no, I'm, um, it, no it's okay. I, I'm just decided I'm going to ignore the audio dropouts and I'll fix it on the fly. And, uh, sorry, dear listeners, you can deal. <laughs> um, you won't get any golden silence from us. Yes. <laughs> um, but, like, the items being sold are, are terribly uh, impractical. And it, it's almost, um, I might be using this term improperly, but it's almost impressionistic, which is, like, here's this hyper-realized state of problems that actually do exist in 1960, mm -hmm. seven, uh, four to seven. And... Um, and they exist now, and they exist always. Um, and it kind of goes through this guy who's seemingly sane walking through a seemingly insane world. But at a certain point, the film starts to change to, I might be using this improperly, expressionistic, where the world itself is actually, um, you know, the, the set that he has built and all these things are sort of expressing uh, the state of being. It's not that this film is happening there, it's that the structure of the thing itself is an expression. So 
So impressionistic being uh, at the beginning, it's just like, oh, okay. So I guess that's how I'm using it wrong. I guess I guess expressionist is the right word for all of that, which okay. is which is the structure of the film and how it looks and how it sounds and how people are acting and this and that mm-hmm. are all expressing the point of what's actually happening in the film as well. Um, Essentially, that all happens, and I I touched on this earlier, that I think what's going on with, like, you know, his his wanting to make this critique about uh, the excesses of society and, and all this stuff just going larger and larger and larger until it breaks itself. He's like, I'm almost doing that trying to make this film. <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> true, um, true. And, and you know, the, the grand set that he has designed is being destroyed on screen and, and this and that, and, you know, there's even little Easter eggs here uh which would be or okay this will be a little easter egg here is a lot of those facades are just large format posters sometimes people in the background are just um person full-size person cutouts because he was running out of money he said to save on extras and actually building the background set thing he just put a fucking giant photo there wow um but i mean it kind of speaks it kind of works within the structure of the film as well, that like, yeah, this is fake, it's Fugazi, it's a woozy, it's a wazi. (laughs) (laughs) No one knows if it's going up or down. But so this whole progression takes place over the course of a day, like you said. Mm -hmm. This guy comes in from the country and he goes into this place that's totally insane and it just gets more and more and more and more nuts and it all crashes down upon itself. Somebody says it's the same thing every night, they all go home, and then the next morning is more agrarian and this and that. But we get the feeling that as the day goes on, that it just builds into the same thing that we just came in halfway through yesterday. Well, and yeah. does it all again. And that's kind of like the idea of the critique of, of society, which is, yeah, we do all explode, and then we all have to go back to where things worked, and we didn't get too far. And I think the title, Playtime, is basically like, we've expanded our technological expansion and our, our this and that, uh, to distance us so far from having to do things and more, you know, that the consumerist nature is, you don't have to sell this broom, <laughs> it's a fucking useless product, um, that just their lives in general have become playtime. Mm-hmm. That, you know, this is all for fun. Everything is just to express our amusement. Right, right. That that's a very good uh, take. I like. So I mean, that's what I think it's all about, and that's what I think he's trying to say there. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, the th- here's what I like is I think the ending is in some ways a reset, but also there's something about that ending sequence, and I haven't. I feel like we haven't talked about the ending in detail yet, where okay. it's uh, it's the same. I mean, because what the ending, what are we seeing? We're seeing the roundabout. People are basically in, in rush hour traffic, which is one of the most miserable aspects of working life. And it's not moving. moving, And all the people kind of at the market structure and level of stuff are just pushing their way through the streets with carts full of stuff going like, cool, we got in before the crazies get here. <laughs> but <laughs> And bought our, our food. <laughs> but when I watched that, I feel like Tati's tone has changed from the beginning. So, like, the tourists are headed back to America, right? Everyone's going back to work. Uh, the, the fun, rowdy night is over, and we're watching this, this roundabout that's packed with cars. But it's shot like a carousel. 
In fact, there's a really cool segment where at one point the cars are totally stopped and the music, uh, there's great music in this movie. Uh, uh, very French. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. Very, very, very French. <laughs> Probably some accordions in there. Um, well, it's a French-Italian film, right? Tati's uh, Italian and... Oh, I thought Tati's French. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, it's French. It, uh, yeah, it's French. So, but there's a sequence of the cars at the roundabout where they've totally stopped. And, and earlier, someone's compared, like, they point to a mobile, and that's where we first cut to the roundabout. So we're already getting this idea of, like, Tati's kind of opening, maybe softening his view even of, like, ugly bureaucratic things a bit more. And, like, yeah, you know what? In a certain light, maybe even rush hour traffic in a roundabout is kind of beautiful. Like, just the whole human circus of it all. And then the traffic stops... And a guy goes over to a parking meter to put a coin in for his car, but it's completely synced up so that when he puts it in, that's when the cars start moving again, and that's when the music comes back in again. So the roundabout literally becomes a merry-go-round in that sense, or maybe more like a, like a wind-up merry-go-round, because this guy feeds the thing, all of a sudden it goes, and the music's back. Well, I mean, I think that kind of speaks to the... You know, the merry-go-round, the round and round that we go, and uh, it stops and it starts again. The party explodes and blah, blah, blah. And theoretically, they're going to build the restaurant again tonight and mm-hmm. do all the more crazy stuff again. That round and round we go. Sure. We're just doing this over and over again. No, I, I think that's true. But I guess all I'm trying to say is by the end, I think he's now viewing what will be the same stuff, the, you know, normal drudgery and work of everyday life with a bit more whimsy which is strange to say because there is whimsy in the opening but it's a bit more of the like this is kind of alien sense of like it's off kilter and the ending feels more tempered with like that that very french sense of like oh everything is beautiful everything is strange and beautiful if you look at it with the right eyes kind of a, a vibe I don't know. That that's how I took it because everything gets so like merry and jovial and like very dreamlike with the way that ending is shot. Yeah, I get it. I I, I think the frenzy is 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 a wonderful fun thing. To, like, I don't, I, there was nobody who was really upset when everything was breaking. No, like, the only people who were really upset were the bouncers throwing the drunkards out. Well, it sucks. Those guys are at work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're at work when everyone else is partying. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess the workers in the kind of um, the scene where they go to the deli and they're just like, okay, we're done with work. We uh-huh. can't go to the fancy restaurant. We'll just stand here and eat your sandwich. Like, you know, that contrast uh, right. cross-cutting that they do. Um, but yeah, for the most part, everybody who's getting to participate in the playtime is happy. Yes. But there, there is a little underlying thing where it's like, but there are other people who are not so lucky <laughs> and don't get to do all this sort of things. And there's a definite, like, uh, class commentary that's sidled in there. It, it's not focused on, but it's there. It's th- yeah, it's there. And, and that reminds me, because Tess, <laughs> who... Tess, I'm sorry, I, my spouse who I love watched this movie kind of like one of those, like... Your wife? 
Oh my. Tess watched this movie like one of the wacky adults in a Cinnamon Toast Crunch commercial, uh, like, which is to say with a microscope of like, <laughs> why is this happening? And uh, Tess, uh, you know, loves making food and runs a tight ship when she cooks. And so it was like, what is, why is this happening? Why is this restaurant running this way? Why are the ceilings just falling built it today? That's why. Yeah, come on. Why is a restaurant that was just built today allowed to run? <laughs> why did we even open? We just built ourselves today. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. yeah um, but, I mean, why I love this movie, though, is like, see, there's like all that with like hierarchies and shit. But then I also think it's interesting that he, it's very much just about commercialization in general. Because some of the coolest shots in this movie you get are... And these are, like, totally fake. In fact, like, I would say very deliberately fake-looking because there's no way you could get all these from these vantage points. But every now and then, I think it happens three times, a character will open, like, a glass door. I think the first time is our main woman, the woman in the green dress, opens the door to the trade show and there in the reflection, just perfectly framed, taking up the entire glass door, is the Eiffel Tower. Uh, and it happens again, I think, at the, uh, the drugstore, maybe, as someone opens it and the Arc de Triomphe is just fully framed in it. And so, because the interesting thing about this, I think, which is maybe a critique by Tati, is these people are on this big tour of Paris, and the whole time they're there, they don't visit any, at least as far as we see, we don't see them visit any of the classical cultural sites of Paris. It's all just visiting trade shows and going to fancy restaurants. Yeah, um, I mean, this is a futuristic place, so theoretically they're going there to visit the future center of commerce, right? Sure, I, but I, I mean, I guess, and it's the same thing with the flower woman being like the last vestige of the old Paris. Mm. And so you just catch it in these these little glimpses, which I think is Tati commenting on how, you know, on the nature of tourism and how kind of commercialized and removed from the essence of Paris everything is. I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, and like, there seems to be this idea he's toying with of authenticity uh, where, and I don't want to be offensive here because there are uh, Paris... I know, and I've only been there a couple of times, but I know very well, is a very multicultural place, you know, a place with a bustling, diverse population. But I think there's a pointed moment where she's trying to set up her shot, and, you know, she doesn't want these American, like, you know, Leatherman jacket boys rocking out to rock and roll in the shot. Like, they need to go. That's not Paris. I want this flower lady. And then as she's doing that, like, a Chinese businessman walks into the frame and it's like, everything's kind of questioning the idea of like, no, you want the authentic Paris. But it's like, do you know what the authentic Paris even is? Like, well, isn't that a commercial idea in some ways too? Well, so it's kind of like the authentic Paris of the past. But as we know, things are just ramping forward faster and faster yeah. and faster as, as you see it's throughout the globalized. course of this. Right. 
So we've, we've got people doing this So maybe that doesn't year. exist anymore. We're not so subdivided. We're not. Uh, They're not like, all wearing berets. Well, I mean, there's the guy who's half speaking French, half speaking German when he's uh -huh. like complaining about the guy moving, uh, Hulot moving around his papers. Right. Like he's speaking, uh, and the, for us it's all subtitled in English, but I'm like, I understand German, and I could hear it, and then I was just like, but that's, now it's just French. Now it's back to German. <laughs> uh, and, I, you know, like this was at the point early in the film, and I was like, okay, are you doing some sort of a absurdist Dadaism sort of thing, or is this a commentary mm. on... But I, I think it's what you're talking about, which is the, the globalizedness of it. It's like, no, you can't have the authentic anymore because it's different now. Yeah, it's all changed. Well, you want to do a metacritical? I've, I've kind of shot my wad on things I had to say. I'm sure you might have more, but uh, let's do metacritical, break it up a little bit, and we'll come back. Uh, yeah. Okay. ba ba da ba da ba da ba da ba Metacritical Rob's never gonna win A Metacritical Brady's the victor again So it's time to play I'm gonna lose today Metacritical Yeah, it's time Time to play That's right, Metacritical, Metacritical, Metacritical It's the game where we guess the Metacritic scores of some films. Brady usually wins. I won last week, and I almost won the week before, so maybe I'm getting better at this shit. Yeah. So, the idea is that we're going to guess on five films. Uh, yeah. And I'll guess, like, blah, 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 and you'll guess on better and the answer will be here, and whoever's furthest away gets a higher score, and we're trying to get a low one when we sum them all up. Okay. Yeah? Yeah, that's yeah. it. You're gonna you're gonna take the scores this time. Yeah, that's good because I, I finished my notebook. Uh huh. Uh, that might not be the best pen because I was wondering whether or not it was running out of ink. Uh, that one's probably out of ink. Okay. Well, I'm gonna say thank you to Bob Moppin for making me this pen. It's ballpoint, so. Look at that! Now we got someone for the end. He made he he made that handmade that that wood. He, he did, did that That's and great. put it all no, together. It, and it's really nice. Yeah, yeah send us some. Draw some it circles. Make sure it works. Oh yeah, it's great. It works. Good job, Bob. <laughs> Good job, um, Bob. All right, I'll go first, Brady. As winner of last time. Yes, you're right. Actually, wait, no, the person who goes. First has advantage, so you go first. I go Because I won last time, so. Mm, okay, that's So it. I'll give you the advantage this time. Advantage you get to pick to three, maybe I'm going to pick two. Advantage goes to me. All right, let's go. Uh, I know. So there's a movie that came out, I believe, in 2010? I want to say 2010. Okay. That was basically... There's a French animator, the guy who made Triplets of Belleville, kind of making a personal dedication film to Jacques Tati. Uh, and it was called The Illusionist, about a magician. Ah, yes. Uh, so, yeah, we'll go with that. All right, you picked the movie, I'll guess first. I have heard of this, not seen it. Is Ed Norton in it? No, it's not that Illusionist. Oh, oh there's another illusion. Okay, maybe I don't know what we're talking about. What year? This one's 2010. animated. 2010. Oh, yeah, 2010. It's animated. 
animated by the guy who made Triplets of Belleville. Wow, you've, you've really got a, a penchant for picking things that I'm just like, I haven't ever fucking heard that. <laughs> oh, wait, oh, 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 it's the Triplets of Belleville. It's the, it's the same guy. But it's called The Illusionist, and it's not the Triplets of Belleville, and it's not The Illusionist with Ed Norton. Okay. <laughs> you? <laughs> you? <laughs> Why do we... So, I basically know nothing about this. Given that you know it and I don't means it's probably a good one that uh, was uh, underserved. So... Was a bit understood. Yeah, see, see, I'm, 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 I'm picking up what you're putting down, even though I don't know anything about what's going around. That's um, good. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and guess sixty-seven. Okay, sixty-seven. I'm gonna guess a seventy-eight. How fast can you type? How fast can you type? You guess 78? Mm-hmm. Oh, damn you, it's 82. Oh, good. That's a really good movie. Oh, shit, you gained uh, 11 points on me, Dad. That's a bummer. Starting us out the gate. 11 points down. All right, all right, all right. Okay, okay. Okay. I understand what we're going to have to do here. We're going to have to pick a real good one. And I was trying to think, nope, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to see how low it goes. Oh, oh, oh. The the negotiator. With Kevin Spacey and Sam Jackson. Yes. Okay. I remember in... The movie has its fans. I remember in my um, computer science class, and I think 11th grade, maybe 10th grade, Roseanne Crane, who I like very much because she was the one who told me uh, when I was complaining about my parents, she said, look, tell your parents what they want to hear and then do whatever you want to do. And I was like, that's the best mm-hmm. advice I ever got given by a teacher. So thank you, Roseanne Crane, for that. And she had a poster of the negotiator up, and it was like, come on, Miss Crane, give us extra credit. Yes, please do. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had written little blurbs there. So anyway, what's your guess on what the, the negotiator is? Uh, oh, yeah, I guess first time. Yeah, the negotiator. Go with a... I'm going to go with 60. Okay, I'm just going to look it up and then say what it actually... <laughs> <laughs> you can go That's with 60. All right, I think the negotiator is probably about a 77. Uh, so I'm going to subtract 20 and add 6. That'd be 57. 63. 63. Yeah. The survey says 62. Wow. That was close. I could have used that negative whatever. That means I gained... uh, You gained a point. Well, you did 60, so you lost two, I lost one. Yeah, I gained a point. All right, so I'm 12 up on you now. I don't know what the total scores are. I'm just keeping... Track of the differential. Brady, why don't you go ahead and pick another move? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's go with... I'm trying to keep this tricky for myself. So, a movie I've never seen. I don't think it's supposed to be great. It's a Clint Eastwood-directed film with Kevin Spacey called... 
Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Ah, yes. This is very much shot in the uh, the uh, the New Orleans area. You're with, right. Uh, with people sweating when they get out of the car. Ah, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's goddamn humid. Um, Perhaps we could walk in the garden. Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. That's probably on an even keel, not a Metacritic keel, in 82. John Cusack in that? I forget. I just I think know John Cusack's in that. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg? Uh, now I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's probably one that ranks about an 82 minus 20 plus 6 puts me at 68. What's your guess? Let's see. Wow. This method is interesting. Um, I'm going to go... I'll go with a 57. Okay. Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Do you say 57? I did. Motherfucker, you got her dead on. Oh, shit. I have not had a bullseye in a sec. Five-point deduction. Shit. Well, that puts... What did I say? 68. So you got an 11. I said 82, 20 minus 6. Yeah, 68, that's what I said. Okay. Well, God damn it. I'm just down what I was up. <laughs> Shit. Um, so now I'm at like 22, 23, something like that. All right. You can look at the old cast list. Maybe. Or you can just pick whatever you All want. All right, Brady. Pick pick the last one. Pick it something that, that, that gives me a shot. That can well, have a, a spread of 40 points. We got we had two more, and this time it's you. You oh, get shit. to pick. Okay, I thought it was over. <laughs> I thought the pain was over. I'll pick something with a big spread. It's round four. Half-baked. 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 I bet you it's rated garbage by critics. <laughs> You're probably right. Even though I really like it. I, and it's actually a pretty good three-act. At any rate, what is your guess on half-baked, Brady? My guess on half-baked is... What's <laughs> your guess? <laughs> no, damn it. Uh, I don't think it's well reviewed. I think it's got like uh, a 39. I'm going to go lower because of Metacritic 22. This could be a big one for you, actually. Yes. Half. Might have used kid gloves on half. Half base is 16. Whoa! Okay, you definitely made up on that one. Uh, not that, not quite enough though. Uh, what'd you guess? Thirty-nine. You guessed thirty-nine. I guess twenty-two. I made up seventeen on you. I'm still down six or so. Wow, that was big. Okay, and then last of all, I'm me. Let's see. Um, okay. Hold Give on. us something with a big spread. Big, a big spread. A big spread. Okay. Someone's oh, okay. doing a big spread watching that guy. <laughs> um, so I was doing my George whatever. Oh, George no, Kennedy no, 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 sir. Um, I know you love it when I do that impression. I don't remember how to do it anymore. Okay, I know, because I'm curious what this even has. Uh, all right, Dave Chappelle, we're going, last of all, to Con Air. It's time to fly Con Air again. Dave Chappelle's in Con Air? Yeah, he's the guy who gets killed and has the message written on his shirt. Really? And they drop him out of the plane. Oh. Onto Cole Meany's car, I think. <laughs> or someone's car. I, 
I think Cole Meany's in that, right? He's Gro the it's asshole cop. I think it's no, it's it doesn't. It lands on an innocent bystander's car. Oh, but it yeah. might be played by like Charles Grodin or something. No, you're right because Cole Meany's car gets hitched to the back of the plane. Yes. He has to have a greater indignity. All right, Con Air. Than Dave Chappelle falling on his Con car. Con Air is a great movie. Um, it's pretty damn. Fun. It's probably a seventy-seven uh, in terms of real world. So Metacritic. Minus 20 plus 6, 63. That seems high. 77? Is that really? No. If it were Rotten Tomatoes, what would it get? Yeah, so, okay, 63 is my guess. Okay. Hmm. I think I'm going with a 55. Oh, shit. That's not a big enough spread. It's going to be right in the middle. Con Air. 52. Okay. Uh, Fuck all. I lose a lot. Um, like it's on the other side of both of us. It is on the other side of both so of us. So I lost 13. Okay, so I'm down 19 or something like that. All right, all right. Tally up the scores, Brady. Go well, ahead and do it. Very Go ahead well. And tally them up. No, I did really well to that last mm -hmm. one. I sh uh. Okay, okay, okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I, I shouldn't have thought that critics would think of Con Air as a 77. I should have thought that they would think of it as a 60-something. Okay, what's the, what's the damage? The damage is you at 44 and me at 27. All right. I met a critical. All right. Fuck you. Oh, man. I mean, I I was even in pulling for a streak, <laughs> the beginnings of a streak. Hey, maybe someday if I feel like you played a good game, actually that that was a pretty good game by both of us. Um, uh, indeed. I I should pause it before the fuck you. Yeah. I'll give you a little reward. Oh, I see. You don't get an in your face or a, a fuck you. Just get. I want again. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so playtime. I said all I had to say. A, let's see. I have a couple more things to say. I mean, I, mean, I got some boxes. I could tell you what the boxes are, but I think we mentioned all of them. I mean, I just think it's nice. It's not a super plotty movie, but I think, you know, if what I say is true, if, if I am a god and every opinion I have on a film is holy gospel... And no, and, and if my take on this film is true, that we start with like a bit of the cynicism and soullessness and Tati's kind of like almost horrified befuddlement at what the modern world has become, and we end in this place of like whimsy and human delights and, and belief that humans, you know, uh, fallibility and idiosyncrasy will overcome the kind of crushingness of the modern world and its grinding gears, then I think I like that that's at least set up with this very light and not at all like overdone kind of human plot where the two meet. So it's, you've got this world where Hula becomes lost and I think it's ingenious, even though it frustrated Tess, that we literally lose Hulo. Like, there are portions of this movie where he, like, disappears into a crowd, and then it's like, where the fuck Yeah, but the tourist does, too. Go? 
Yeah. Like, the, again, there's no main character. It's no, just, I know. Just somebody to lead us. But I think, but I also think that's part of the design of of to feel lost in this. We aren't anchored, certainly at first, to anyone, and we get just this very small thing, which is, I think the first time it happens, they see each other in the windows of passing buses, and they're like, "Oh, you're that guy. You were in the trade show." And so I think it's good that this movie has an anchoring of this this very beautiful and understated kind of human connection narrative going on, which I think is mirrored by the broader sense of like, it's okay, you'll find humanity out there in in what seems like an unfeeling modern world. Yeah, I mean, I, I got you there. I think it's more along the lines of... Um, well, so there's the thing I said that it's to bring us in and this and that. Um, I think the whole him not following it the whole time was actually just personal choice. From doing some reading, he like after the f uh, first two films of Mr. Hulu's Holiday, <laughs> and uh, and you know Hull, or what's I forget what the other one's called, but uh, gotcha. but uh, it's called something. And there's also a Mr. Hulu in it as well. Um, yeah, same guy. It's, uh, he got tired of kind of playing the character, directing the film, and being on screen all the time. And he didn't feel oh, it was sure. necessary. So he kind of went... Well, uh, that's, that's one of those it. happy accidents. Yes. yes. Yes, it is. That, uh, it, it serves the film. So I guess the last thing I want to comment on, because um, uh, it ties into our review of The Party last week, is I just want to talk about what a cool physical space this is. What I like is just the way, like, what an off-kilter view of the way we navigate physical spaces is. Which, if anything, is like the entire genesis of the Hulo character is a guy who moves a bit uncomfortably through modern spaces. Uh, but it's not just him. There were moments when I looked at the dance floor and I was like, wait, if this were an actual restaurant, and I've been to some, like, crowded clubs before, like, everything's a little too packed in. And I think the idea yeah, is, That's like, just Corona talking. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Uh, but of, like, I just wrote down in block letters, like, how do people even move around in space? You're just watching all these people, like, how has no one stepped on someone else well, yet? Well, but, I mean, certainly it is, like, I remember being at the piano bar on... Uh, Christmas Eve maybe or the day before mm -hmm. in our hometown Danville and going to that and it was like a very packed place like that and at one point I was like trying to squeeze through and I was like excuse me excuse me and like some bro like stepped in front of me which was like mm -hmm. what do you think you're doing bro you're not going to get through here it's just it's not going to happen like obviously I'm like well if you would just scooch a couple I'm, I'm very small <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah no yeah um and then I went out to smoke a clove because I was smoking those back then, and uh, the, the, the the guy had the bouncer throw me out. Uh, yeah, I, no, I remember that. Yeah, that's fucking stupid. Well, that At any stupid. rate, that's the kind of shit that happens when things are too packed in. It does happen, but I think you're just living in a COVID state of mind. I could be, but but I think what it is is like. <laughs> the furiousness of the direction and like the physical choreography. So the dancers are just like going hard as they possibly <laughs> can. It's like, there must be an inch of space for you to navigate. Good thing it's not mosh times yet. 
Yeah, they, they basically almost invent a mosh pit in yeah. France. Uh, and the only other thing I'll say is, um, I mean, this isn't anything new, but there are two uh, things that I hear Tati compared to a lot in terms of his the way his frames are filled. And one is uh, Bruegel. Do you know Bruegel? Yes. Yeah. It's well, no, I know the name, actually, from, from being a film student, but I couldn't tell you. Oh, I, no, and I remember a, it's spelled B-R-O-G-I-L. He's a painter. He was one of those painters. Uh, uh, I was thinking De Broglie. De, de Broccoli. <laughs> you chop Okay, I don't know what I'm talking about. Thanks. But, you know, what? what sorry. I used to be an educated film person. But, uh, you know, Bruegel was one of those painters where it would be just like, I think often like a big, like wide view of like maybe like a farm or something, like an agrarian scene. And he'd just like pack the frame with like a million different people just off doing their own thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and the more modern thing, not quite as uh, artistically, uh, critically adored maybe, uh, not as highbrow. Uh, is Where's Waldo? Uh, Tati films are a lot like a Where's Waldo book. Well, very, very nice. And and Hulo is Waldo. Where's Hulo? Where's Hulo? Where's this, Hulo? I would buy that book. Oh wait, now I realize. Jennifer, who loves Tarjay, uh -huh. who who used to work, she asked me to get Mr. Hulo's Holiday for her. Oh, did she? And I did, and I put it, like, just, like, in a folder on my web server and sent her a thing. I'm like, here, you can download it. Oh, cool. Well, um, I also need to see that movie. I, th I thought it was a cartoon about a frog. <laughs> it does sound like it could be. <laughs> Mr. Hulo. Or ribbit. Ribbit. Where's Hulo? Ribbit. <laughs> what a nice frog. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that's all I got to say, I okay, guess. Okay, let's wrap it up. Let's pick next week's movie. Okay. Night so, of the Comet. Yeah, I, I <laughs> thought you might. Um, and I'm not going to try to press too hard because I, I pressed advantage last week and got two of mine in. So I'm mindful of that. But I am going to set precedent for one because I know that uh, my spouse and Maddie would be interested in this one. In fact, they want to see it. So I'm going to propose The Damned United, with starring uh, Michael Sheen, an actor I love, and uh, a man that Maddie and Tess really love from his performance in Good Omens. I'm going to say the... Uh, I'm going to put forward the, uh, the sequel to the Sandra Bullock uh, uh, getting, uh, getting Sober movie, 28 Days Later. 28... Okay, 28 days later. Uh, okay. That's not actually the sequel to Sandra Bullock. It's a zombie film directed by... Oh, yeah, that's that's Danny Boyle. Yeah. That's Danny Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It was uh, a joke. It was a joke, but I'm still proposing that movie. Why don't you pick a second one? I'm going to pick a second. It's a replay from last week. Uh, it has the virtue. If I'm selling it, it's a great movie. There's so many better ways to sell it. But one way to maybe sell it is to say that it's only 67 minutes... What a sweet runtime. Uh, it's Lover's Rock from Steve McQueen, part two of his Small Axe anthology from this past year. What was your first one? I was too busy thinking up my joke. First one, uh, The Damned United. Oh, that's right. I did hear you say that, and I went like, I'm not sure that sounds <laughs> like a thing. All right, then. I'm going to put up Night of the Comet. 
Okay. And I guess I'm honor bound to put up 28. <laughs> Wait, what is it? What's it actually called? Isn't it 28 Days Later? That's the zombie movie. Yeah. Oh, you want that one? Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's actually a very good movie. Uh, sure, I'll, I'll put that up. Okay. Sweet. So these are both zombie They're both movies. zombie movies. Okay. It's October. Oh, wait. No, it's April. It's March. Zombie Jesus. In <laughs> celebration of zombie Jesus. March zombies. Palm Sunday is next week. May right? flowers. I uh, no. I, I forget. Still have no sense of time. I think Palm Sunday is next week. You're probably and right. The week after that's Easter. Wow. Today is the 15th. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost... We're recording this on March 15th, 2021. It's, it's the future, it's the and we don't know anything about Zombie Jesus Day holidays. Anyway, uh, I'm going to take evens. Okay, I'm out. One, two, three, oh, shoot! <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's even. <laughs> it's even, because <laughs> that's what happens when you throw sham scissors and I throw two. <laughs> Okay. I was being confusing with the two. <laughs> no, I just went on the wrong part of the beat. Um, so that's the night of the comet. <laughs> night of the comet it is. Okay, it finally happened. This is such a bad movie, it's going to be real fun. Oh, cool. Okay. I, I'm actually very excited for that. Okay, I mentioned a whole bunch of people. I mentioned Roseanne Crane. I mentioned uh, Bob Maupin, who made that pen. I mentioned... Uh, there's somebody else I mentioned recently. You're Jenny, Jennifer. From Target. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jennifer. I don't remember the names of my favorite bartenders who I haven't seen for a year, let alone people I haven't worked with for four years. Shit. Jennifer. Jennifer! Uh, you're a Facebook friend. I'll find you. <laughs> also mentioned. You mentioned anybody? Uh, no, I don't think I did. Okay, theme song. <laughs> Carnivorous couch. It happens once a week. It Dance swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then it's so speak. so weird because it moves the opposite way. Carnivorous couch. With Brady and Rob. If you keep talking to me like that, I'm going to smack you on the top dish. <laughs>